Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 55. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by my game of the year, Chris Raygun. Ah, that's sweet. Isn't that nice? Nah. Oh, I thought it was pretty nice. Nah, I don't believe in oh. anything. Well, you don't believe in anything? No. Like a nihilist or an atheist? Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. Is that like the same you don't thing? Believe, well, nihilists don't care about anything, I think. Right. Is that like hedonism? Now, hedonism that's, is like doing shit for the sake of... That's life like, in the pursuit of pleasure. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Well, that's not what this podcast is about, so we don't no. have to really worry about words. Welcome to episode... What is it? 55. 55. It's episode 55. 55. So, all right. So, to give everyone a little bit of an update about this, I think most of the audience knows this because we like to set up these kinds of episodes long in advance so no one is surprised. This episode was pre-recorded right after, after we did episode 54. We are not doing a normal episode the week you are hearing this because I am not around to do it. I need to get the fuck out of here for a little while. <laughs> I hope you guys appreciate that we don't often miss. Well, we don't. We never miss episodes, but we often don't do these interstitial episodes. But we needed to make a little space here. I don't anticipate we'll have to do another one of these for a little while. Yeah. So please forgive us. But it's a good time to do it because July, nothing typically ever happens. So, yeah. Now, Chris, today's podcast I want to focus on our game of the year so far. We're recording this on July 9th? July 8th. July 8th. Is it July? That's right. It is July 8th. So we're recording this on July 8th. 
And so we're a little more than six full months through the the uh, year, the calendar year. So I thought it'd be fun if e- each of us kind of listed out our five favorite games of the year so far, why they are. I also solicited a ton of questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, you can submit your inquiries by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Got a lot of feedback on this one. And what I'm excited about is that we each have a top 10 list or a top five list, but there are nine cumulative games on our list. There's only one crossover game. So this is going to be a fun, I think, little exercise for us to talk about the games we enjoyed so far. Hopefully turn some people on to some games they might have missed or have not been pushed over, uh, you know, to to try yet for whatever reason that might be. And of course, the audience has a bunch of their favorite games of the year so far as well that are not ours. Yeah. Does all of that make sense to everyone? It should because it's basic so. English. It's basic English. It's very basic English. Now. There's not going to be any timestamps. There's not going to be any drop. There won't be anything. We're just going to get right into this, Chris. And I think that the best way to do this is to begin by talking about and ping-ponging back and forth. Like, what is your... Because we put them in descend or ascending order, I guess I should say. Mm. Five, four, three, two, and then one from our least favorite to our favorite in those top five. Yeah. And so I want to start with number five for you and for me, because this is the one game that we both share. Yeah. Which is Resident Evil 2 Remake. <laughs> this is both of our number five games on our list. Now, Chris, what do you think about Resident Evil 2 Remake? Why did it join your list of games of the year so far? I, it helps a lot that I never played the original Resident Evil 2. I, I played one, three, f- like I played all for whatever reason. That was the one that I missed back in the day, back when I had a PS1 and I was playing it frequently and getting new shit for it so it was nice to be able to play something that had that kind of classic mentality the classic design the fact that you could play this in a weekend really and finish it but it feel very very new to me and they just nailed it out of the park i i feel like they really got it down pat with this like the environment like the 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 atmosphere in it is awesome the sound design is insane it looks beautiful insanely good looking that game so good looking. So good looking. What's cooking? God, it's so good. And it just plays really well. It just it doesn't it feels like it's got that old kind of, you know, you got to slow down to aim and shoot, but you're not this weird like you you're not weirdly stapled to the ground just so you can aim. It feels like it feels modernized in the right ways, I think is what it comes down to. I think it captures horror really well. I think that yeah. it, it's a it's a truly modern survival horror game and I really think that this game represents a sort of evolution of Capcom coming into its own once again with a bunch of really quality oriented titles. And I think that they're a little bit surprised by how big Resident Evil has become again, because Resident Evil five and six were the best selling Resident Evil games, but they suck. And I think that people were or I think Capcom was confused about what they should do, chase the dollar against the criticism or make something better. And they did that with Resident Evil 7. And then with Resident Evil 2 Remake, I think that this is such a nice step in the the right direction. And what I love about it is that it has the right balance of realism and camp. I don't think that it's especially serious. Yeah. And I think that that adds a lot of gravitas to it. And I think the other thing that I, I really love about it, Chris, and I've talked about this with my brother. I don't know if anyone can relate about this, is that I love sections in contained games. So like a mansion or the police station or whatever the case might be where there's like these little safe rooms that you find where you can like imagine that your player will catch a nap or like sit safely and try to like go through the documents that they've been finding. And so I really like it's similar to a campfire in an RPG or going to an inn where I like using my imagination in those situations to wonder what they would be doing in those rooms and what they would be doing in those spaces and in the moments where they're able to breathe. And I think Resident Evil 2, for some reason for me, captures that so well. No, for sure. With the the slight changes in music and the kind of the auditory cues, the lighting is really well done. It's a beautiful game. It's really, really good. And I think that it's going to be hurt in the game of the year conversation ultimately because it came out so early and also because it's a remake. It's a remake of a game, but it's a real remake. It's basically its own game that yeah. was just based on something else. It's not like an up res or anything like that. They made it and it's it's excellent. Very, very good. Yeah, just incredible. So, Chris, we have a few letters about this. Jordan Goodeye wrote into us, said absolutely has to be Resident Evil 2. Caleb Hager says game of the year for me so far has to be Resident Evil 2. My opinion might come with a grain of salt because I never played the original, much like you, Chris. But the game was fantastic. The gameplay, atmosphere and graphics were top notch. I haven't played DMC5, but could we also argue that Capcom has been the publisher of the year so far? Curious to hear what you guys think. We'll talk about that in a little while. Mm-hmm. Marquise Caligari wrote in and said Resident Evil 2 Remake. If we're serious about treating video games as art, 
This should serve as the blueprint for bringing them forward and maintaining them. Jacob, Bo and I love that because this is a maintenance project. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. They are maintaining what Resident Evil 2 is through a modern lens. And you can imagine that maybe they do it again, you know, in 10 or 15 years. That's a very interesting point. Very, very interesting point, Marquise. I love that. I never even thought about that, about maintenance of a game. Yeah. You either maintain the original or you bring it forward. I really like that. Jacob Boyd wrote in and said Resident Evil 2 Remake is definitely my game of the year. Graphics are incredible. Voice acting is top notch and combat was really intense. I don't know that the voice acting is very good, but I don't know that it's supposed to be. It's I mean, supposed to be weird. I think it was entirely serviceable. B-movie shit. I, yeah, I didn't notice that it was particularly bad or anything. I think that um, well, I, I, I don't know that it was. I don't think it's good. I'll put it that way, but I don't know that it's supposed to be. I don't know that they would make this immaculate game and then have shitty writing and shitty voice acting. I think that's what Resident Evil is. It's supposed to be a little weird, a little quirky, a little well, if it's unbelievable. Trying, well, if it's trying to do that, then it's then it's good, isn't it? Because it's mm. doing what it sets out to do. Touche or touche without the E with the accent over it. Touchy. Brandon Hardman wrote in and said Resident Evil 2 for sure. In a marketplace crowded with 6,000 hour adventures, it was nice to be able to sit down and finish a game under a couple of weekends. Yeah. The experience was finally polished and complete right out of the box, which feels nice in today's environment of 400 gigabyte day one patches. You're really getting dramatic here, Brandon. 6,000 hour adventures with 400 gigabyte patches. <laughs> I hope this trend catches on and we see more games like this. And finally, Raphael Armendariz. I'm sorry. He's a man of your uh, Hispanic culture. Am uh, I saying that right? Armendariz. Hold on, let me see. A-R-M-E-N-D-A-R-I-Z. Where is this? Is this... Uh... This is in the new... It doesn't matter, Chris. You're Where's too it? slow. Oh, Raphael. Haven't played much this year, but by far, I love the remastered RE2. I have no Simply idea how to pronounce great. that name. That is a baffling You're a one. useless Hispanic person. <laughs> one, of the, one of the other things I wanted to touch on was the Resident Evil 2 with Mr. X or whatever his name is is one of the most memorable, kinetic, nerve-wracking situations I've ever found myself in a video game. Oh, yeah. Anything that actively, act, like, literally actively makes you watch your back. Like, you can't stop. You can't. Yeah. It was stressing me. I had to it's put it down because it was stressing me out. There's a point in the library. Which is great. I love it. I love in the library you have to move the shelves around, use that jack to, like, fuck, you know, fucking get something. And, sh and I remember, like, running around trying to get and, like, slowly moving the bookshelves and it's like... It's very nerve wracking and you hear him. You can feel him. I love that it teaches you also like the, the main room in the police station is safe. And then it just like breaks it immediately when they introduce this lumbering top hat it's, wearing. Look at it's awesome. It's because great. it doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense why you could go to that place in the police station and, it, and it, no one came in there. So I, I do agree that that's a beautiful design choice. But this this idea of maintaining of bringing forward, I think Resident Evil 2 remake is a wonderful archetype for what remakes can be of old games old classic games yeah. and we i i really do feel with square enix we're going to see it again with final fantasy 7 remake in some way something yeah. that does feel right you know something right. that does play the part yeah especially with a game like resident evil where i would argue that like the gameplay of it is not necessarily as important as like the tone or the atmosphere that it's trying to convey where it's like if you wanted to remake something that's very very gameplay focused i'd imagine that that'd be a very different situation absolutely um but i'm yeah. not crazy about the gameplay but it's only because i like arcadey games more even right, if they right. break the immersion i f actually i'm with you on that one as some like we've shot guns before now yeah. i'm not a fucking sharpshooter but it doesn't take me that hard and that much time to aim the gun at someone or like i've never aimed a gun at someone but to aim a gun at some <laughs> aim a gun yeah, at something right? Yeah, right, right i almost feel like it's too much like where i'm like why is it so hard for you to pick up your pistol and aim your cop you know <laughs> The zombie is, I think is lumbering a, yeah. slowly towards you. I think that's a way of maintaining some of the clunkiness of the old one. Of the tank? Yeah, uh, yeah of the tank controls without it being egregiously unplayable in, a, in like a modern setting. All right, Chris, let's start ping-ponging back and forth now that our lists have completely diverged at this point. Right. So your number four game is what? My number four game is Metro Exodus. Because I was shocked that I enjoyed it. <laughs> 4A Games, published by Deep Silver? Yeah, I'd never really played a Metro game before. Uh, I, I think I'd really, I, I think I touched 2033 Where? for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I played, like, maybe an hour of it, and I was like, yeah, maybe I'm just not in the right mood for this. I'll pick it up later, and I just never did. It's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those stories. But yeah, we, I, I, I picked this up, and initially I was kind of down on it. We were going through these linear corridors, and, like, it was, it was launching me into these scripted animations and i was like ah oh, man i don't know i've seen this a lot of times and then 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the environment or the atmosphere of it or the just the setting being as interesting as it is, but it it drew me in far more than I was anticipating, and it just feels like a really cool survival-oriented FPS, which I, I something that I feel like I wish Fallout was almost in the way that it plays, where like you have to keep an eye on your gauges. The HUD is like a very natural-looking HUD. You have to actually check your, you know, your vitals and shit. It's really cool. You have to wipe dust off your mask when it gets too dusty in the in the windstorms or when you're submerged in sludge. It's so cool. It's just a very, uh, it feels like almost like Dungeons and Dragons level, like kind of just immersiveness. And it's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking. It's well, it's one of two games or three games we're going to talk about today that are on my to playlist from this year because I actually platinum metro 2033 and metro last light so this is obviously a a next step for me now i kind of begrudgingly got so immersed in those metro games because i don't think that they're like great games mm. i just think that there was a lot of potential there and it sounds to me like with metro exodus that the potential has been realized in some respect i mean probably to to a greater extent there's still like i, I still think the shooting is a little bit wonky this is a, a pretty weird i feel like this is a common thing with fps's for whatever reason there's only like a handful of them that do it like really well even though there's so many of them but i think it kind of like like with resident evil 2 i feel like there's a there's a sense of oh even if the shooting isn't as tight as like a, a halo or a call of duty or anything like that there's kind of an immersion kind of factor to it where it like feel it it almost feels better that it doesn't feel as tight for whatever it's weird I'm looking forward to playing it. It's interesting. It's a good uh, game. I, I wish I had the chance to play it, but pre-release, you guys remember that Deep Silver has beef with me, but uh, I bought it and uh, it's sitting on my console. So, you know, I it's one of those games that I, I just absolutely have to get to at some point. And I think that I'm just playing these fucking long ass games that are really bogging me down. And I think I need to shift away from that a little bit and start getting through some of these these quicker adventures and just get them out of the way. But I'm looking forward to playing it. 4A Games is a very talented, very underrated studio. Again, beating the drum. Eastern European development is really coming into its own with some of these studios. David Graham wrote into us, Chris, and said, unequivocally, my game of the year so far goes to Metro Exodus. The Metro series is one such series that has gone on a tremendous upward trajectory throughout its releases. Save for some ropey voice acting. Do you mean dopey? The game just hit me in every regard. Tragically beautiful environments, heaping mounds of atmosphere and style, tough stealth and action combat, intelligent AI, and endlessly intriguing lore. But what really makes me give it such high praise is just how much of an adventure it brought me on, and where, both figuratively, figuratively and literally, it went. Also, shout out to the Caligula Effect Overdose, because it had an awesome soundtrack and no one else cared about it. I will give a shout out, by the way, to the books. Uh, Dmitry Glukovsky wrote the Metro books. They're Russian native mm. post-apocalyptic books that he's, these are based on. They're supposed to be excellent. I have them on my shelf, but I've not read them. Connor Walton wrote in and said, hey, CNC, my game of the year so far is Metro Exodus. I have been a big fan of the series since 2033, and I think Exodus is the best of the trilogy. The story is simple yet told really well. The gameplay is also the best of the series, and the music is stunning. It's also a very beautiful game. There's some issues in terms of bugs, but I think they have, for the most part, all been ironed out. Thanks for all the amazing work you guys do. So, Chris, you are not alone in your love of Metro Exodus. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. My number four game on my list, as it were, <laughs> is where is it here? There it is. Castlevania Anniversary Collection. Right. Now, this is a weird one. I wasn't going to include this one in the beginning because it's a collection, but it counts, man. I think it counts because I think it's just such a nice compilation of these just classic, rigorous, difficult, well-made side scrollers. And it's really the the history of Castlevania in, in, in some sort of digital museum format so you can play through these really early and important games in the genre and where Castlevania actually began and I think that the no frills nature of it is a, is a little disappointing but it's not as no frills as Requiem was last year it actually does have some some art some soundtrack stuff they actually <laughs> updated art. it to include all of the Japanese versions of the game which is very cool especially with Castlevania 3 which obviously has a different music chip in it entirely and some different save functionality in some of the Japanese versions so 
I really want to give a shout out to Castlevania Anniversary Collection. I, I think it's a really nicely done and well done collection. The ports are very faithful and true. Very disappointed, as you guys know, that it doesn't have a platinum trophy. I think that that was a big miss, but that's obviously a minor uh, complaint that I don't know that a lot of people will find that very relevant to their in their in, uh, particular experience with it. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. I think that there's something there's something bubbling at Konami right now. I, I don't know exactly what it's going on over there. Yeah, but something is going on where they're creeping back in with some stuff, and I think testing the waters on how well some of these things are received, so they know how to advance particular franchises we're already going to get a metal gear, metal gear solid six we know that i think it's in development i think they've talked about that but think i think that they're now going to say what do we do with castlevania what do we do with contra well we're going to get that contra game in august and, and find out from there i think they're starting to kind of dip their toe back in yeah and i think that this is one of the examples of it and also they did the contra collection which is supposed to be very good as well chris what is your number three game my number three game was devil may cry five which bunty hates does he? Yeah, it's too it's too anime for him, I guess. Oh. Which uh, well, he I, doesn't like Japanese people. He is a racist. <laughs> so I yeah, I don't know. I, this this is another one that just sort of caught me by surprise because I was never really that into uh, Devil May Cry. I actually kind of liked DMC from a from a just a gameplay perspective. I Ninja Theory is DMC. Yeah. yeah, I think people give that game a lot of shit for no reason. It's because but, he looks a little emo, right? Oh, the, the characters are the characters are shit, but they're also kind of like. It feels intent. It feels like that's the per the point. But yeah, like this one, uh, it's just so over the top and ridiculous. The fact that you can dual wield a single motorcycle is incredible. Like that sentence doesn't make sense, but it's but it's the best way I can describe what happens. And just like the 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 style of it, and just the 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 campiness of it. A lot of camp. It feels like a Sam Raimi movie almost. It's just so. It just feels like a fun time. I don't know how else to describe it. It doesn't feel like it's trying to load you with all this lore and all this, like, it's not trying to immerse you, really. It's just, here's a fun, ridiculous romp. Have Enjoy it. I'm glad you brought up style, because it seems like, literally, it stylistically went back to what people wanted out yeah. of Devil May Cry. I think, I think that's why people had a problem with Ninja Theory's DMC, was that it was just not... Uh, Capcom was it was very popular almost 10 years ago to try to make everything grounded you know everything like you know how great yeah, and realistic yeah. let's give a east oh, let's give a western developer this eastern franchise I don't think that was a good idea and the game sold respectively but respectively but obviously it didn't I think it, it would have been blow. better if it wasn't a Devil May Cry game like because that game plays really well you know but it's just like it's one of those things where they change the character for no reason and it's like why do that well you know Devil May Cry 5 is a totally valid uh game to put on the list it's, it's something that people have recommended to me quite a bit but I've not gotten around to it and I feel a little weird I know you haven't played all of them but I feel a little weird not having I played the first one I think that's the extent of it so I just feel weird like I'm gonna jump into the fifth one I don't know it feels it's fun strange. man I know nothing about it <laughs> but it, I, I I was thoroughly entertained Jay Bakes 25 wrote into us on Patreon and said Devil May Cry 5 is my game of the year so far it is a gamer's game all the modern trends I dislike such as unskippable cutscenes walking segments and grounded mechanics are not in the game it is a great comeback for a dormant series that seemed to be going in the direction I did not like with DMC Devil May Cry. The, the elements of DMC I like, I love, like stylish and rewarding combat, great music, entertaining characters, and amazing replayability are all present in DMC 5. All the new additions are great as well, like, I'm sorry, like V? What does that mean? Oh, V is a character. Oh, okay. The dislikes don't come close to ruining the game for me. Some of my runner-ups are Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, plays well on PC, and my friend Pedro, which you were talking about yeah. on Switch last episode. So Devil May Cry 5 is Chris's number three game. My number three game is Days Gone. Oh, man. <laughs> now, I know Chris is not going <laughs> yeah, yeah. to agree to agree with this very much. The more I played Devil May, or I'm sorry, uh, Days Gone, the more I enjoyed it. And the more I've thought about it since beating and platinuming it, the more I like it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how it's going to hold up as the years wear on, but I like the game a lot. I think that it was fun. I think that it was weird i think that it kind of understood itself better than i thought it was going to understand itself and i think that its detractors have been just totally proven wrong as far as like the real detractors like the people that really thought the game was gonna be shit in terms of the gameplay in terms of the the lore we're clearly gonna get a sequel it sold well so mm. 
I want to give a shout out to Days Gone. I just think that I agree. There's too many of these games. There's too many open world games, but there was some uniqueness about it. The uniqueness of the central Oregon setting I thought was really cool. The uniqueness of riding on motorcycles and being in a motorcycle gang. Mm-hmm. Although, as I said during our spoiler cast, my idea for the story is much better and they should have done that instead because <laughs> it would have explained why yeah. they were all together and why they only ride motorcycles. Yeah. So, so there's some inexplicable shit that doesn't make any sense. It also seems to tie in the siphon filter, That's which cool. I think is kind of interesting. That's super neat. But I, I don't know that it's I, I, I think the game might be getting a little bit short shrift with some people that because of gameplay quirks that haven't been quite, quite ironed out. Some of the cool stuff in the game isn't really seen until late. So like the horde technology and all the horde stuff is actually really fun. But that's basically all you're doing at the end of the game. So I think that they could have balanced that a little bit better. And I think one of the audience members writes in about that. But I, I came to really enjoy it. Right. Uh, the more I played it. And by the way, it just it can't be understated just how fucking broken it was. And how that really spoiled the game for, I think, some people. And I think ruined the Metacritic score. And who knows what Chris, how Chris would have felt about it or, or how I would have felt. I would have even felt more positive about it if, you know, before point 1.02, it was just broken. So, yeah, it's a relevant thing. But, Chris, I got to tell you, the audience, a lot of audience members agree with this. Yeah, that's Luke fair. Bernard wrote it and said, hey, or CNC, he didn't say, hey, since you both played this, I think the best worst moment of 2019 has to be Days Gone. Based on what you both said about the game's early issues, I waited about a week to play it, even after a pre-order. I'm about 30 hours in. I definitely take my time. No spoilers, please. And I have to say the bugs are fixed and the game goes from six to midnight with the Ripper's Iron Mike storyline. The game seemed like a bust to me. I actually stopped playing a bit to focus on replaying Final Fantasy seven, but now I can't put it down. Definitely my game of the year so far. Marcus Brown wrote in and said, my game of the year is simply Days Gone. I know it can't be right, but I have to say this weirdly underdog PS4 exclusive has risen to the top and didn't stop swinging. From its beautiful setting in Oregon, a unique main character, and a fresh take on the zombie genre with cool new types of freakers that make gameplay challenging. This game has depth and future potential is in likely installments. The combat is fun and intense and obviously has room for more work, but then again, this is the first game. Not to mention its horde mechanic, which hasn't been done before, and no one can deny its effectiveness and true horror. Imagine what can be done with its hopeful sequel. Sure, it has its intense bugs. My personal experience wasn't so with so with a few texture pop-ins here and there. It's really bad if you didn't play it with the patches. I still feel it lived up to the hype. All from a small studio, no less. I say it was a win. I feel this game is the Mad Max of 2019, a bit overlooked and cast it aside in an era where games must at least be a nine or no one will give it a shot. Well, I agree with you there. Anthony Gigi says the only game I've yet to play that has released this year was Days Gone. Despite what reviews have said about the game, I liked it more than I thought I would have. I guess you could say it fulfilled that open world itch that I haven't had since I beat Red Dead Redemption 2. The horde mechanic was great and I loved driving around with the bike and Deacon was cool. Even if the story was mediocre at best, I think the sequel has potential after what most games face as growing pains with their first new IP installments. Jeremy Miller wrote in and said, I might be in the minority here, but after going through the 20 or so new games I played this year, my game of the year would have to be Days Gone. The game was like comfort food for me, and I think that it was released at just the right time and was just what I needed in a video game. Looking forward to the sequel. And finally, Nathan Norman wrote in and said, Days Gone. I've played almost 30 games this year, and that's the one that really stands out. I think it will be overtaken by a number of games personally in the back half of the year, though. The only issue I had with it was the glitches. I enjoyed everything else, especially the horde killing and the overall story and world. I know this is an unpopular opinion and it won't even be considered in any game of the year discussions, but there are fans of Fallout 76 proving there are fans of everything. It's true. Even furries. Yeah, (laughs) that's not I can't argue with that. No, there's no argument for me there. Thank you all for your input there. Chris, your number two game. My number two game from uh, for 2019 Sekiro Shadows Die Twice from Soft. So good. I, I, you haven't played it yet, have you? No. This is the other game that I was saying would be on my list for, with Metro I, that I have to play at some point. My God. I mean, it just feels like... I li- I enjoyed Bloodborne, right? It was entirely enjoyable to me. I didn't r- really love it simply because I, I, I don't like feeling staple to the ground. I like being able to do shit. Like, I like having verticality. That's why I had such a blast with Spider-Man and like uh, pretty much any game that lets you do anything like that. And, and when I saw the first trailer for it, I was like, this looks like Tenchu. This looks like Bloodborne Tenchu. This is amazing. It's exactly what it is. It's Bloodborne if it was a Tenchu game. And it's sick. It's beautiful. There's a grappling hook in it. Immediate. Immediately <laughs> bought. Consider- considering who developed it and who published it, uh, probably was the Tenchu game. Well, yeah. I- I'm pretty sure that's how it started. I would be shocked if it didn't. Now... We have a lot of feedback on Sekiro as well. And yeah, Sekiro is a game, again, along with Metro Exodus that I, I just yeah. have to give time to. 
this year before the end of the year. And I will. I think Sekiro is actually a bigger priority to me than yeah. Metro. I think it's probably a lot easier to get into Sekiro than it is Metro. Because obviously Metro is like a, you know, a narrative kind of thing. You got to really focus <laughs> to pay attention to like shit that you might miss. Right. Sekiro is a bit more gameplay oriented, which I, again, another reason to love it. All right, let's get through this feedback. We got a lot of feedback on Sekiro. Uh, I'm sure. Sergio DeVivo wrote in and said, Hey guys, so I think that no other game has clawed its way into my heart this year as much as Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I like Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 fine, got both plats, but this one absolutely blew them out of the water. The combat is specifically in one of the is one of the best I've ever seen in gaming. The whole block deflect counter mechanic is honestly masterful, and I've been I've already seen games in development trying to implement this. In a year where there have been pretty good games so far, Sekiro is king. Colin, please find the time to play it. You won't regret it. It's fast, difficult, beautiful, and respects the player so much. Can't wait for your impressions. Listen to Chris and play it with two <laughs> exclamation points at the end. I, sh- I should say, it's not difficult. I don't think. I think it's just fairly challenging. Like, I feel like there's, like, a difference. I feel like difficult is, like, unnecessary, almost. Like, oh, you, of course that invisible platform was there. Like, like I want to be the guy. Have you ever played, have you ever played I want to be the guy? Yeah, I, I it's remember. Like that it. shit, like, that shit's difficult because it's in, ridiculous. But this one is, like, you know, you feel yourself getting better every time you play it, which is, like, a common theme in pretty much any game that I'm going to love to death. Christopher Middling wrote into us and said, hey, guys, usually when I pop the platinum trophy for a game, I'm satisfied, done and eagerly on to the next one. But when I was done with Sekiro, I was a little sad. I wasn't ready to move on to Days Gone just yet, even though I did. And I'm not saying Sekiro left something to be desired. I just wasn't ready to leave the world of Sekiro. And that's why it's my game of the year so far. Really compelling world. Jared Orr wrote in and said, my pick for game of the year so far is Sekiro. I have always been a fan of the Soulsborne series, and the trend continues with Sekiro. The switch and setting was great. The environmental storytelling and atmosphere that From Software crams into the world is unmatched. They just draw me in like no other games. The change to a faster tempo was great, too, though it did take a while to break the break the sometime... What? Did take a while to break the sometime break my dodge roll and hit... I don't know what the fuck that says. But thank you, Jared. Trevor Bolstad wrote in and said, Hello, Colin and Chris. Longtime follower of yours, Colin, but a first-time Patreon. Thank you for your support. While pondering my favorite game of the year so far, I've realized that I only have two games released this year, Sekiro and Crash Team Racing, after hearing Chris's love for the game or praise for the game. With my limited playtime in CTR and my love from FromSoft, Sekiro is easily my game of the year, even though I never got around to beating the final boss, what with life getting in the way, and now it's too late for me to go back as all my precious muscle memory from the game is gone. That's the yeah, worst. It's literally what's happening to me. While I am a college student and tend to only buy a handful of games each year with a small budget, this year has been especially dry for my personal taste, and I am actually using this time to catch up on old games that I previously missed out on, such as Doom, Borderlands, and the Bioshock trilogy, thanks to your knockback episode with Dagan. So I'll leave you with a question. No, you won't, because I'm not going to read it. Orgen Benjaminson wrote in and said, for me, it's a, t- it's a tie between Resident Evil 2 and Sekiro. Me and my friend played through Resident Evil 2 when it came out. I was around 10 at the time. And to relive it with the amazing graphics and RE4 inspired gameplay was just a hell of a good time. And it probably is one of and it's probs one of the few current gen games I'm likely to pick up and play in the future. Sekiro, on the other hand, was just more Dark Soulian delight from From's most focused gameplay to date. I always adored Bloodborne because, among many other things, it's rather limited compared to the Soul series loadout options. Sekiro got this down to a razor's edge, and I love it for it. You have to adapt or die. Dylan is the final mentioner, let's say. He says, good day, CNC. My game of the year will most certainly be Sekiro. Its major plus for me is that it innovates on Souls gameplay with a new deflection mechanic, making fights feel a lot more skill-based and a lot less janky. However, I feel like my game of the year list has no credibility given that every single FromSoft Souls-like has won in their respective years, the fanboys curse. (laughs) Oh man, so good. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project 
in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, my number two game is Bloodstained Ritual of the Night which just came out recently. I just beat it a couple mm-hmm. days ago. Now, Bloodstain was an interesting little adventure for me because I think that I, I didn't, I wasn't crazy about it at first. I, I think that the game is incredibly uneven at times, not in terms of its gameplay, but in terms of its presentation. I can't believe how bad some of the characters look. I can't believe how bad some of the animations are, some of the backgrounds are. And then suddenly you go into another place and the characters are gorgeous and the backgrounds are lush and all of this. So it's uneven from that perspective. And I think that that's inherent to 2.5 D. I just think 2.5 D kind of sucks. Yeah. I'm but, not a fan of it either, it, but it's what they needed to do. And, and, and I respect it for that. Or we would just not gotten the game at all, but underneath that facade is something that just plays so solidly. The, the main character, the protagonist, Miriam, she can use all of these different weapons. So you can use like great swords or katanas or whips and it all, they all have different abilities and moves and speeds and strengths and weaknesses and there's all this armor to find and you use these shards from enemies to use and ma- you any enemy attack you can use in the game and you basically collect them <laughs> so there's a lot of like systemic depth to it because it's cool like you can have these augment shards attached to you so like it increases your strength and then you can go to a person to upgrade that shard so it increases your strength even more and then you can find ingredients and cook food that permanently increases your strength and so you can build characters like it's it's actually somewhat customizable if you want to play it like that, which is unusual for a game, a Metroidvania game where you're basically just trying to strengthen your character by any means necessary. It's a little bit different in this game. There are side quests and there, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil it. I think the game's too new, but there's a symphony of the night inspired thing in the game that is so on the nose, but actually quite clever in the way that they handle it. So if you're into two point or 2.5 D and I just want to say 2 D side scrollers, you're into Metroidvanias like I am. It's a must play game. And while it's on the nose so very much with Symphony of the Night, as I've said many times, and I think that that could be a detraction. I think that it's it reminds me a lot of episode seven with Star Wars, where episode seven is really beat for beat episode four. And they did that because it's safe. We, we know you like episode four. There's no way you guys can complain about episode seven if it's a facsimile of episode four. And so that's what they did. And it was safe. And I think with Bloodstained, I think it's probably a little safe. It's hard to say the game's ba- anything less than great because it's so modeled on one of the great games of all time, unequivocally. So I'm really interested to see what they do. They're, it's selling well enough where I'm sure it'll get a sequel and all this. So I have a lot of questions about about uh, Bloodstained, but I, it comes highly recommended as well. If anything, I think it's chock full of just a little bit too much. Right. You know, I'm 30 hours in and still I still am missing things. So that's a long time. To do you play think it's just like really bloated? I think yes, but I think a lot of the problem is probably I, I think I have to look, but I think that there were Kickstarter tiers to make equipment in the mm-hmm. game at a certain level. And so there are literally, literally like 150 weapons. That's totally unnecessary. There should probably be something like 25 maybe in a yeah, game like this. Maybe max. And so there's things like that. And then you have to like build them and find the ingredients to make them and all this. And I'm like, this sucks because if you want to like 100% the game and platinum the game, you have to find all the shit that you're you're not going to use. My character is way overpowered. She doesn't need any of the shit. She's beaten all of the bosses in the game, (laughs) but I'm still running around trying to find this, you know, this cloth that I need to make this armor so I can get, you know, and that's my choice. I don't have to play it like that, but I do play it like that. And a lot of people are going to play it like that. So if anything, I hope that they're able now that the next game will not be kickstarted and they don't need anyone's money. They can hopefully pare it down to be a little bit more reasonable in terms of its if uh, its loadout, because I think it's, it's incredibly bloated and incredibly complicated. Game developers have to remember, just because a system exists doesn't need, need needs to be in your game. And at some point, you have to pare it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's my major complaint. But I, I really, really love it. Corn Tool wrote in and said, hey, this is a tough one, but I got to go with Bloodstained. It was my game. It was a kind of game. What? Oh, it kind of gave me my Castlevania fix. I got to read these before I put them in. Yeah. But I would like to give a shout out to Rage 2 for bringing in an old school FPS style shooter mixed with today's open world games. Another shout, uh, another shout, shout, let it all be on DMC5. It was a hell of a game, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. By the way, I do read them, but I don't read them like closely. Skim them. It's better I don't for, really want to spoil it. It's better for time. Yeah. And you get to, you know, read them with a fresh but I, eye. But, but Corn Tool, no offense. It's a good example of, you know, we, we got to have a little <laughs> punctuation, right? There's got to be a little bit of punctuation. Just a little bit. 
I mean, I don't need a comma everywhere. You got to have some commas. You got periods. Oxford commas. I like Oxford it. commas. I don't mind them. I was against the Oxford comma until I had an editor at IGN that totally changed my mind on the Oxford comma. This was late in my writing Really career. sold you on the Oxford comma? An Oxford comma salesman? An Oxford comma salesman. That's right. Because it does make sense. It makes perfect sense why you would use the Oxford comma. Yeah. But I digress. Chris, what is your game of the year so far? I know what it is already. Yeah. So I've, th- I've thought about I thought about this a lot and it was juggling between one and two, but I just can't. <laughs> it's Crash Team Racing uh, Nitro Fuel because I and I, I thought long and hard about this because, again, like what we were talking about with Resident Evil 2, this is a remake. You know, I don't really know if I can say that this is a game of the year, if it's just the same thing again. But there's something about it that is just impeccable. And it just plays so perfectly. It's so skill-based. You just feel yourself getting better at it every single time you play it. And it, there's all these different ways to play that the game doesn't teach you. It's really old-school-minded in that way, where there, there are tricks that are baked into the game. Whether, I don't know if they, they were intentional back in the day... But they're intentional now, and the game makes no effort to teach it to you. It's just play the game, figure it out, and I love it. It's competitive as hell. <laughs> it just scratches this weird itch that I could just... And it's, and it's just so nice that I can just pick it up and play. Like a, It's a pick-up-and-play game, too. Like, I could bring it with me on, on a Switch or whatever and, like, play it for, like, two races. And then I've just done something, and I felt myself getting better at it. And it's just... It's a very satisfying game. Re- I know it's going to be overlooked because it's a lot of people are going to be like... What's yeah, it's just Mario Kart, but I swear to you, if you pick this game up, it you're gonna get thrashed. You will get thrashed if you play it like Mario Kart. It's so insanely different, and uh, I don't know, man. I just I love it. Well, I'm glad I'm, you. Love I'm it. so happy with it. It's like the first time that a remake's been perfect to me. I'm excited that it, it fulfilled your expectations. Yeah, that was a good. That was a big thing. I wanted to see if it fulfilled your expectations. Yeah. And there's a bunch of shit from Nitro Kart in it too, which I didn't play. That is now like, or that I didn't play a lot because I didn't think the, that game originally was good. But now that it just plays like the original, all these new tracks are like new to me. So it feels like an expansion to a game that I already loved. So perfect. I loved. I love it. It seems like a lot of people really enjoy it. So I'm I'm amped up for you. My game of the year so far. Not surprisingly, I suppose, is Felseal Arbiter's Mark. Again, we've talked about this game pretty much every week for the last month or so. (laughs) So I don't want to be too redundant, but it's really just a very special game. And I really can't recommend it enough. If you like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre or strategy role playing games generally, even if you like something that's quite different like Disgaea or if you like something like Jean d'Arc or you like something like Fire Emblem, I really think that you have something here. And I'm, I'm so surprised that this game hadn't been picked up more. It really goes to show you how flooded we are with shit to play and how poor or poorly the platform holders are able to curate their their stuff. Because if I saw this game early and I was at Sony or if I was at Microsoft or, or whatever, I'd be like, this game needs attention. Like this game is very, very, very good. And it's the kind of stuff that needs to be bubbled up to the top. So while it's not a game, it's a turn-based strategy game. So it's not a game on a grid with lots of deep systems. It's not a game that's for everybody. But it's if you like that kind of stuff, if you like really being deliberate in the way you play, if you don't like active gameplay, which I don't always like active gameplay, I love turn based games. If you like that kind of stuff where you can really look at a map and think and, and strategize and figure things out and, and, and grow in character classes and find equipment and do side quests and make your, your class stronger and, and pretty interesting story. There's a lot to offer here. And so Felseal Arbiter's Mark is my game of the year so far. Will it hold on? I mean, it's it's entirely possible even these five games would be would be bungled up at some point in a different yeah. order. I don't know, but I know I know for me, Doom is coming out this year probably, so it's gonna be that's gonna be one that's gonna displace a little bit. But I got to give a shout out yet yeah, to to Felseal as yeah. my game of the year so far, and I, I know that most people that listen to the show that are into that genre already have bought it or are already turned on to it, but I just can't stress enough how good it is, and I'm really happy that I'm like the biggest. As far as I can tell, I'm like the biggest advocate and evangel- evangelist for this game like out there, <laughs> for sure. So go play it. Felseal Arbiter's Mark. Great game. Chris, do you have any honorable mentions that you wanted to bring up before we get into some of the listener submissions that aren't games that we talked oh, about? Oh, for sure. I think um, I think Rage 2, for as unbalanced of a game as it is, I think the shooting in that game is actually really something. Like, it's something really special. Like, the, the combat in that game is actually just so satisfying and so fun and kinetic and weighty. 
it's it's really great. It's a shame that it's it's broken apart by these long stretches of nothing, uh, which is really the only thing that really kind of hinders it, I think. So there's Rage, Rage 2, uh, My Friend Pedro, which again is not on PS4 yet, but it will be, and it's definitely worth picking up, and Hades, which is another one that will be on PS4, but it's, that's a super giant game, uh, same people who did Bastion and Transistor, that is fantastic. That's in early access right now, though, so when it comes out, uh, I would recommend checking it out. It's kind of like a roguelike, uh, it's if Bastion was a roguelike, basically, and it's amazing soundtrack, so good. Ah, Darren Korb, again, and it's just so good. I like Supermassive, I, I like Transistor... Excuse me, I hiccup. I like Transistor a lot, like a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. But I didn't like their last game, Pyre. 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 I, I couldn't understand it. I was like, I don't understand what the fuck's going on in this game. It's just too complicated. Pyre. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't get around to. I, I. I played the hell out of Bastion and Transistor though, and those Bastion I love. Yeah, Bastion's a good game. I play. It was on Vita, but I played it on uh, PS4. What a great that, that soundtrack is like. Uh, I still have it on my phone, like downloaded. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. But those are, I think those are the ones that stick out to me. I have a few that I wanted to just talk about briefly. Uh, I want to give a shout out to The Messenger, which is a yeah. really, really great game, but it didn't come out this year. It came to PS4 this year. So Was Celeste this year or was that you last year? Celeste was last year as well. Yeah. So The Messenger is an excellent game. Really, really fantastic. But it was on PC and Switch last year, so I don't know that it would necessarily count as game of the year this year. But if you haven't played The Messenger and you're, again, into very similar Bloodstained-like games, I mean, this is a really, really good game. It's, it's like Ninja Gaiden. It's like a Ninja Gaiden Metroidvania. It's really cool. I want to give a shout out to Far Cry New Dawn. I liked Far Cry New Dawn. I think that it was it could have been better, but I love Far Cry. I just love that that series. And so, you know, recommend it if you're into shooting things. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy was really good. I only play, you know, I played those games, so I don't need to play them all again. But I like the way the package is put together. It's very, it looks great. Yeah, the presentation I, on it's really great. I couldn't believe how much better it looked. I didn't realize like how upgraded it was until you look at footage of it on DS or GBA and you, and you see it's like totally redone. So Phoenix Wright's great if you like adventure games, if you like, uh, you know, visual novels and legal games and stuff. It's pretty good. And finally, The Division 2, I, I didn't beat it. I got distracted, but I played it a lot and uh, I liked it. I thought Division 2 was great, fun to play, immaculate third person action shooting, yeah. lots of upgrades and things to do. Really good game. I, I do want to get back to that as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I, that's something I want to get back into also. Evan Rhodes wrote in and said, hey, buds, honestly, it may not have been the best game this year. The Division 2 absolutely deserves praise for being the first multiplayer game in recent memory to launch with little to no problems. Content was there. Content was there. No server issues and gameplay was solid. It's sad to say, but this deserves serious props in a time when every game feels like that game that can be fixed, but has solid game hiding underneath the issues. I agree. They definitely yeah, released a game that worked, but they have enough experience to know that that's just not going to fly. And to be perfectly fair, uh, no Call of Duty game is launching broken in a long time. Yeah, I think even I, I guess he's talking more about content. And I guess the last one didn't have a campaign. Yeah. In fairness. That's true. So you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Chris, let's get into a few as we... Oh yeah, we, we're gonna, it's time to wrap up. Again, I, I'm sorry that this episode's not longer, but we don't want to, you know, make it too long just to just to be longer. Yeah. Again, this is kind of a vacation episode, so we hope you forgive us for that. But rounding things out as we close up, I want to just uh, read a few more letters we got from people that wanted to shout out games that we didn't mention at all mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that we are well rounded and showing the audience what is what. Murray M wrote in and said, my favorite game which came out this year is Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition. I never played the original, so it was my first time going through and I'm glad I, it was now and not back then. The whole game felt very nostalgic for the old school JRPGs, corny story, fun characters and fun arcadey gameplay. The thing I didn't realize I missed until I played it was an overworked, not making traveling places a drawn out chore. It is a reminder that games don't need to be cinematic epics to be great. I totally agree. The, the mid generation Tales games are so good. Legendia. Vesperia, Exilia, these are great. I'm not making these up, by the way. These are great. Uh, sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, these are great games. It was with Zestiria and Berseria that they really started a, a lot of areas. Yeah, which is not always the way it was because it, it, the first one is Fantasia, which I guess is, but then Destiny. Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria, Tales yeah. of Hank Azaria. <laughs> Nick 
Ushinki wrote in and said, my game of the year is a Plague Tale Innocence, an amazingly atmospheric game set during the Black Plague in the 1300s, which is such a unique time period in the gaming space. The stealth and combat mechanics felt tight and impactful. While we're swimming in a sea of lengthy games, I always welcome playing a game that doesn't overstay its welcome with a concise story. I've yeah. heard great things about that game. Yeah, same. And I don't know why I've not played it yet. It's supposed to be very manageable in terms of time. But again, there's just so much shit to get through. And again, I'm, I'm a, kind of preparing for my vacation, but that's on the list. I've heard great things about a Plague Tale Innocence. Jude Brandon wrote in, said, hey, CNC. While it wasn't talked about too much on Sacred Symbols, my game of the year is definitely Mortal Kombat 11. It's a total accumulation of everything NetherRealm Studios has improved on since rebooting the series in 2009. And I think it's easily the best game in the series. Thanks for everything you guys do. And finally... Kendrick Lukenbach wrote in. This is going to be a controversial one. Mm -hmm. Says, hey, Colin and Chris, 2019 has felt like a slow year to me when it comes to games. I feel like developers are holding cards for next gen rather than finishing this gen strong. I actually agree with you there. As a result, my game of the year 2019 so far is Apex Legends. I think the mechanics are strong. The map design is smart and the weapons variety make everything viable. Even though Respawn has a Star Wars game coming out, I think Apex will be their best release of 2019. Do you guys think we'll ever see a free to play game contend for game of the year next to a triple A $60 game? Not sure that it's possible. Will we ever see that? Maybe. Um, I don't know. I it's it's difficult, I think, because a lot of these free to play games kind of <laughs> game of the year implies that it's a game that comes out that year. And typically free to play games release in their worst state. <laughs> That's why they're free to play. So, like, I, I, by the time a game that's free-to-play gets good enough to be nominated or to be considered for Game of the Year, I feel like it's already been out for, like, a while. Like, I feel like that happened with Warframe. Like, everybody swears by Warframe now. Like, I hear that game mentioned a lot, and I've been trying to get, like, get around to playing it, but it's also been out for how long now? Like, yeah, probably forever. Like, pro it's been out for five a while. Five years, probably? Six five years? years, five, six, definitely, like, around four to six years. And, you know, I, I was at IGM when it came out. I remember that. Yeah. So like uh, this is uh, that's probably a contender for game of the year, but it's been out for so long. So like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'd be I'd be surprised if a free to play game was contended for game of the year. Yeah, I would be surprised, too. I think that it would be to Chris's point. I think it would be surprising just because of the, the very evolutionary nature of those kinds of games. They're not static. Yeah. Like, I don't think uh, Plague Tale is going to change very much. So it's easier to judge it place in time as opposed to Apex Legends, which will probably be around for years. And like you said, because of, of games like Warframe and I think Rainbow Six Siege is another example where yeah. where Apex Legends might not have fulfilled its potential quota of players yet, which is always the most surprising thing when you talk about these games, you know, in other words, Warframe probably has more players now than it ever has. Mm -hmm. And it's old. Apex Legends numbers are going down, but there's no reason to think that EA and the Respawn couldn't possibly get those numbers back up even higher than the numbers that they achieved earlier if their next or their future seasons are compelling. So I actually think you're absolutely right. It's just hard to judge those kinds of games that it might require us to look at game of the year differently. You know, I, I think that it reminds me of a conversation that was happening a lot in games media that they, I think they've finally gotten around to fixing, which is a Warframe is a great example. We reviewed Warframe. Right now, if someone goes at IGN now and looks at the old Warframe review, it's useless. Like, the, that's not the game anymore. That score is not accurate. Every, everything about the game. that is So you have to approach criticism also in, a, in an evolutionary way where it's constantly evolving along with the product. And that, that makes these very tight, nice, neat, tidy categories like this hard to, to do. It's like why E3 predictions suck. It's the same thing. It's like, I don't know. Like, uh, like it's, 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 it's hard to, yeah. to, it's not 2002 anymore. It's hard to put things into a, a static barrel as it were, or a vertical and, and be able to categorize it. So, but that's kind of what makes our medium so fun. And I'm rooting for apex legends because uh, I think it would be cool to have a, a really viable, long lasting competitor to PUBG and to, and to Fortnite. Like, I, I don't see why yeah. you wouldn't want something like that. It would just make those other games better. Especially the people who made uh, Titanfall two, which is just amazing. So. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing that Chris, uh, well, I won't ruin the last play. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the end of our episode, Chris, our very, you know, short. Ep this might be the shortest numbered episode so far, but we'll get back to normal stuff for episode 56. Don't worry about yeah. that. But we hope you enjoyed our little stopgap episode. I would rather, again, do this than ever miss a week. We're never we're just not going to miss weeks. So I hope you guys understand that that's kind of the nature of sacred symbols. We always want to be there for you. Yeah. And if we're not here for you, we're there for you. Is that... <laughs> I hate that. That just oh, it's a Seinfeld reference. It is. Everything goes back to Seinfeld. Everything always. Chris, do you have any closing comments before we let the audience go about their day? 
Uh, I think uh, I think I'm hungry again. Yeah, I'm hungry too. I like to think that the audience is not able to go about their day until they listen to this show. In other words, they're just a captive, they're literally starving, a literally captive audience, <laughs> not a figuratively leave. captive audience. They're all like locked in the cell, and, and the the episode starts blasting really loudly from speakers above them, and they're just like. <sighs> Sorry, guys. It's another one. We're never going away. Following a week of silence, so they almost appreciate it. <laughs> right. Like, they're like, oh, good. Yeah. Like, oh, finally. You're still alive, I guess. Oh, I guess it's been a week. You can feel. There's no windows. It's the only way we can tell how long <laughs> it's been. Well, I enjoyed that. I think it's a, it's good to check up on and remind ourselves of what we played because it, the nature of our business and the nature of what we do, we play so much that it's, imp- again, like, this actually might be a useful tool for me to listen to in December when we're actually doing Game of the Year. No, exactly. So... Well, especially because, yeah. like, the the, the, f- the end of the year is so f- so loaded, typically. I don't know if it's as loaded this year as some other years, but, like, fall is going to be huge. Again, probably. I, I would imagine. assume so. Yeah. With Star so. Wars coming out and all this Yeah, all that this Star Wars shit. game's going to be big. Modern Warfare. Yeah. Which I'm actually, like, looking forward to. Me too. Weird. I, I really call there are a few Call of Duty games I've missed over the last few years that I really got to get to and in, in preparation for that because I love Call of Duty, but it's just been a while. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, hope you guys all enjoyed our episode. Thank you so much for listening, for your kindness, your generosity and your support. Remember, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad free access to every episode of the show. We do your ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas are also tethered to Patreon as well. If you're a freeloader, we appreciate you too. tell your friends and family about our show. Leave us nice reviews. And uh, just be nice to just be nice to me. You don't have to be nice to Chris, but just be nice to me. <laughs> he needs he needs the niceness. I need you to be nice to me. Uh, we'll see you next time for episode fifty six. Back to normal fashion at that point. Until then, be good. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosfort, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbein, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinsler III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Josh Salinas, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strycharsk, Ahmad Tamar, Will Vlander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnbaugh, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wasman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Nick C, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, 
it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 